Wow. So glad we have all this <laughs> together. Oh, God. You know, we're working. We, you know, we got the whole audio part of this shit down like a while ago. I have to say that my cousin told me to do this. She said, you're, n- you're new to YouTube. You should tell people who the fuck you are. She's so right. We are Ashland Podcast. We have been, um, Ian and I have been around doing Ashland Podcast since 2017, thereabouts. And about a year in or so, we ran into, encountered Andre when we did a shout out to, does anybody want to come on and speak with us? I think he had seen Queer Eye and a couple of other things, that were, listened to uh, Queer Eye. And we invited him on, and then he eventually became um, our dear friend, and now he's family, and now he's a co-host. And what our purpose was for starting Ashland Podcast was to just talk about the shit we were watching without the filter of some critic or some other dumbass telling you, like, all the tropes and using all the high fancy MFA terms they, you know, learned in school. Tropes. To tell you how to, like, you know. Mise-en-scene. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dutch, Dutch tilt. Fuck off. So we decided to, like, just to sort of speak about as, like, regular ass people about what we liked and what we didn't like, but mostly what we liked because it's easy to shit on things and throw rocks at things, but it's kind of, I don't know, I I think we just wanted to share kind of our love for the things that we love. That's kind of our background. We've been doing that for a long time. We watch slews of shows. Some of them you guys watch, some of them you haven't seen, and we've learned from you guys too. So we already have a diehard following on our podcast. Welcome, hello. What's up, y'all? And then we are brand new to YouTube. Uh, this is our second video ever. This time we're actually in the fucking frame. You can actually see what yeah. the fuck we look <laughs> like. I don't want to hear any fat shaming. I don't want to hear like I'm old. I don't want to hear the usual tropes. If you're going to come from me, be unique, be original. And don't be a dick. I'm not going to listen to you anyway. So, um, And then these are my two fine, lovely uh, cohorts and co-hosts. This is Andre and Ian. And I am Lisa. Ian and I are in Santa Monica, and Andre is in Virginia. Um, And that's how we do the show every week. We do it usually on Skype, um, and our laundry is apparently done. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Usually we're in the the office, office. you wouldn't hear that. But we're in the den because visually, there's a couple things going on with doing the YouTube part. So... We record the show on Skype, but we have ISOs, and so we put the ISOs together to do the podcast. But when we're doing YouTube, we have to take the visual. It's a whole thing. It's magic. There's fairies. I don't know. I feel like there's elves involved. And when the the first one video we did, when we're all like uh, out of frame, and it looks like you know your grandma just learned how to use YouTube. Uh, Ian's signal dropped because we were in the office and we were cut off from our. Um, what do you call that thing? Up here in the corner. Uh, Wi-Fi yeah. modem. That which shouldn't have been a problem <laughs> because I bought Wi-Fi. <laughs> I bought one that was specifically for distance. So it just something crapped out. and Yeah. Well, also, it. everybody's at home. Everybody's on Zoom. Everybody's masturbating, watching porn, cam girls. Everybody's become a cam girl. So there's a lot of pressure on the, the bandwidth. And I think everything fell apart right before we recorded last week. And that's why you had this kind of like <laughs> you saw the middle of our office and the sides of you and Sophia's faces. So we're trying to improve every week. 
But again, I, I blame Sky for it. I'm but. just going to say, but but to be honest, our production value probably won't rise too much above. It's not that level. bad when you think about I'd, it. It's not that no, bad. I mean, listen, compared to other podcasts, I feel like we underestimate our production value a little bit. I don't know. We have great sound. And that's it. <laughs> and now <laughs> we have a YouTube channel. <laughs> and then we have personalities. But what else? And personalities. But what else do you need for podcasts? I mean, know? I agree. I agree. Um, so we're back. And we're specifically here to talk about. It's so hard to talk about. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through it without crying. I'm just going to say that normally you hear me cry sometimes on this podcast. But now you get to, get to see the actual ugly truth of when I cry. I'm an ugly crier. Uh, I look like I'm you should be worried about me and that I need a tongue depressor or some shit because I don't cry well. I just look like I'm about to hork up an alien <laughs> from my vagina. So. I mean, I think the same could be said for most people, I if not so all. I wasn't ready. I didn't want it to be ready. I didn't know if I was going to be watching. I didn't, none of us knew we were going to be watching um, the series finale of Shit's Creek during a pandemic. No one had any clue. Yeah, that was completely yeah. unexpected. And so I will confess that when it was airing last night, I couldn't watch it. I wasn't ready. I couldn't do it. Uh, it also comes on hella late in L.A., so I just couldn't face it until the morn. Um, <laughs> and you guys were already watching it. And that was also, we were deeply kind of embedded into Terrace House, because yeah. Terrace House sex Part 3 of this season just came out. And we just kind of just didn't get there. But this morning when we watched it, I was okay for the finale. But then the documentary came on and then I, as Andre would sh say, I shat inside myself. Carry on. That is I correct. talked way too much as I normally do. And go. And scene. And. Well, do you know, you know what's funny though? As soon as the episode started, it Almost like on cue started thundering and lightning outside, right. just like it was in the episode, which was spooky. I was kind of freaked out when you told me that. And then we lost our TV signal halfway through the first 15 minutes of the episode. And I was inconsolable because <laughs> I knew the DVR, once it goes out while we're watching it, the DVR is not going to get it. So I, I would probably have to wait a day to watch it on Prime. But it came back like five minutes later. We missed like a five minute chunk. And we, we we were like, should we keep watching? Should we? And we just decided to keep going. So who was watching? It was you and your mom and Sophia and Michael? No, Michael Michael's not in our Shit's Creek party. Oh, he's too young, doesn't care, has a life to live. Gotcha. All three, yeah. Copy that, Michael. Copy. <laughs> Yeah, but but it came back and it was it was perfectly fine for the 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 rest of the episode in the documentary, but it was a little stressful. Although I'll talk once we get into the episode, I'll talk, I'll talk about later what I missed and how that how that framed my first viewing because I just watched what I missed like an hour ago, and I'm not gonna say it completely changed my whole outlook on the episode, but it it did add something obviously that I was missing. But so what you're saying oh. is you missed. David getting jerked off on his wedding day. <laughs> so it cut out right as the massage scene started oh. and then it cut back in 
when um David walks into the motel room and he sees Alexis in the wedding dress. Oh, so we, that's mi- a we big missed chunk. everything in between that's that. Look, yeah. that context is very important in a, like a twenty-two minute fucking show. I know. I know. I mean, Dan is so hardcore. He didn't even give us a two-hour finale. Dan was like, I've never done this before. I'm doing it my way. I probably could get another 10 seasons out of this and make more bukus of money. I probably could just do a bunch of other shit. But you know what? I'm committing to what I said I was going to commit to, and I'm out, and I'm peace. And I'm like, bitch, but at least a 45-minute fucking finale. Or commercialist, I would have liked. Jesus. Uh, so here's the thing. I have to ask you guys, mm-hmm. how do you feel about just Shit's Creek in general? Somebody says Shit's Creek. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about the show? For me, it's for me, it's like just a happy place. It's uh, like we sort of stumbled onto this show. What <clears throat> season two? I think Lisa I think and season I, two. I think season two had just started. Just when started, I found season one. and we were able to to binge all of season one, <clears throat> and then we were hooked. But when you th- when 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 I think of it, I'm just That's like, "That's not true." What? No, Schitt's Creek had aired half of its first season, and Margaret Lyons at the New York Times. Oh, she's my girl. She was saying, you need to check out this show, Shit's Creek. It's on Pop TV. I was like, what the fuck is Pop TV? They're, <laughs> they're naming new channels every day. They're just making shit up. They're pulling things out of their butthole. What the fuck is this? And then we finally, I think it was a lull night. We had watched all the shows at the moment. So we, But we were able to clock like a, a, at least half of the season. Easily. Yeah, okay. And then we just got hooked. I mean, we were just hooked. Not that it matters like when you start watching a show, but this is one of those shows that I want to be able to say, like Broad City, that I got on early. Like I, I did not get on. Yeah. I was not a latecomer. I saw it for what it was. I was onto it, and I told anyone who would listen, "You have to watch Shit's Creek. You have to watch Shit's Creek." I want points for that. I want to toast. Well, I was a latecomer. Yeah. And I started watching because you recommended it because I screamed and in your face I w- well I was actually watching it concurrently when I first started watching Game of Thrones mm. so I would like flip flop between those two during the day that's a weird transition it, it is but like I was I remember I was like hella sick the first couple of weeks of January um and I needed something to watch um I remember that time I remember yeah. when you were ill and like I feel, I feel like you were vulnerable, and I prayed on your senses, and I knew that you were weak, and I, maybe I just need to wait for you to get like, well, I can't make the joke now. I can't make the joke in the pandemic. No, no now it just sounds can't. like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I say I'm you gonna wait for you to week so I can voice Breaking Bad on you. Now it just sound like I'm a fucking devil. <laughs> watch, fucking watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> Stop doing this. It'll to happen. Me. It'll you're happen. We're graduate. talking about Shit's Creek. Look, you're going to Zoom graduate in like five minutes. Just start watching fucking Breaking Bad. <laughs> don't break my heart. Anyway, we are talking about Shit's Creek. So how do you guys feel? How do you feel about it? No, Ian like took the, uh, I mean, what he said was like almost verbatim was just like, it's like joy. Like I, every time I sit down to watch it, a new episode, I'm I'm just in like a state of mind where I'm just like, I'm just ready to like let go and not care. Right. And, you know, I think it can be. I think when a show manages to disarm me 
and I I stopped thinking about the show too much. Well, how do I make this not sound like I was like brain dead watching the season? There was just like there were things making it pass through my filter that if it was another show, I don't think it would have passed through that easily. Does that make sense? No. Like yeah, yeah. At the at that point, like because it was the final season, if if there was like some weird thing, like a weird story beat, it would like pass my mind in like one second and then I would just immediately forget about it. Cause I'm because that's not what I'm there for. I'm not there to like pick it apart and and critique it. I'm just there to have a, a good time. Right. And feel safe. I just feel safe when I watch the show. And it's the reason why it's on in the background all the time. Cause I just love being in the presence of the show. I think the documentary nailed exactly how what you just said, how we all feel <laughs> about feeling safe and being queer and having a place to land. I said this a couple of podcasts ago and it's one of my big gripes and it's one of my grants I've been having with myself since the fucking 80s is like, you know, until we get to that moment where we can just be gay at the post office or gay in line at the Trader Joe's or wherever the fuck you can be gay, DMV, uh, right now just gay in your house and it's just a casual thing and it's not controversial and we stop killing queers on tv because it's wrong somehow or weird somehow and because gay people exist and queer people exist and all of those alphabet people are literally your neighbors and doctors and friends they're probably saving your lives or your nana's life today like it's not about like what dan said in the documentary struck me he's like we're not trying to convince you we're not trying to win you over we just are and we just i'm gonna cry because I wanted this so much and it's here now. I'm sorry. And I'm so hopeful for our generations coming up because, man, we exist and we love and it's cool and it doesn't have to be a thing. Like, a guy was engaged to a girl. Now he's engaged to a man and then they have a beautiful existence. I'm not, I'm into the wine, but not into the label. And when Dan Levy brought that to TV, when he brought that in such a sweet, super Canadian way with his big boneness and his campiness and his eyebrows and his fashion sense, no one could have seen it crashing in. And I want to say a couple of things. Is it cool that I dab my face like some sort of like preacher? Just a fish towel? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I'm doing it right now. Ashland Pockets is also a safe place. So yes, of course. So here's my a couple of things that I thought about that. And then I'm going to just, you know, I'm not going to dwell. But it's so lovely to see that the femme community not only got their due but got leaders i kind of marked this time in history with dan levy and jonathan fanness right Mm. the 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 femme the femmes always just get it just like the dykes get it like they just get slammed and derided by our own community and to see them emerge as the leaders out of all of this by 2019, 2020, oh my God, my heart sings. And second, I'm so happy that a lot of you are starting to see that it's completely 
cool that we are actually here and we related to you and we love you and we wait on you and we we we're service providers we're your co-workers we go to church with you we can have faith and dan levy just unlocked it he just took the simple premise of a riches to rags family and he turned it into this love letter for our community and i can never stop thanking him for doing that because they didn't listen to us through songs, through poems, through Broadway shows, Angels in America. We can just list off all the things. And Dan, Dan just brought this sweet, loving kind of thing to it. And I and it just it tears me up in the most beautiful possible way. It just makes me love uh the show so much. Sorry, I'm blathering and rambling right now. No, I mean, honestly, I think if anything that I got from the documentary is that this this show happened in, in such a perfect amount of time, in the perfect place, in the perfect setting with the perfect people to make it work. Like, and I think, like, there are so few shows that the planets line up in that way. Yeah. And I think that i mean honest to god i think dan levy is is revolutionizing the way we we watch and consume tv mm-hmm. i think his sensibilities of of trend and story and and all all of the technical know-how i mean just seeing just seeing him in like the writer's room or there was a great clip of him saying i don't think it was in the documentary but the shits creek Instagram and Twitter was popping out these videos throughout the week. And he said, the moment that I started questioning whether we need a new, a new season is the sign for me that we needed to end it. And I'm just like, what a completely logical and mature way to approach that. Cause like, I think it, it, and I can't even imagine how incredibly hard it must've been for him to make that decision, knowing that it would be the end of this perfect little show but time will be very kind to it. And we're we're going to thank him now. We're going to thank him later for ending it now. I don't think I ever have will see a world where like if the show did go on that there would be a significant dip in quality. I don't think that was ever in the cards. But I think that the respect that Dan has for not only the people he works with, but the people that he's making the show for is so incredibly profound and it's just like awe-inspiring honestly like and i i honestly cannot wait to see what he does next yeah and and uh, you know along that same point you know on the production and you know on that on the um documentary you just saw the time and care that they all took with every aspect of the show from the war especially the wardrobe and and you know makeup and and my department sound you know they were given their space because you saw that mutual respect amongst people and how we all together as a crew produce this amazing thing and i think you know dan even said it's like he was like and then people started noticing our little show and it's like everybody who was involved in that from crafty to pas were part of that community and I think that's what really resonated is that when you have that sort of organic magic, I like to call, 
<clears throat> call it, it just percolates and it just goes out. And then you mm-hmm. see who who likes the show. You know, that broad demographic of just everybody. Everybody. And it's inclusive. And it starts it started from that family. Which is amazing when you just think about it. The just Levy family. The Levy family. And, and you know, the, the the love for the art form and the appreciation for the yeah. fan. And it's just it, it's Can I can I also just point out really quickly how easy it would have been for Dan to depend on these super mega stars like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara to bulk up the show for a couple of seasons and then he he just collects his check. I mean, like that's not why he made this. Like yeah. he he put the story and the characters first and foremost, which seems like yeah, you're making a TV show, you should do that. But it, it's lately it seems like a completely revolutionary thing to do that, and it's all nuance and it's all business and that that's all in the politics and it's all there. But I think it was it was Dan's like complete um, rigidity in his stance. In that, no, we're not going to show homophobia in this town. No, we're not going to make it a big deal. No, we're not going to disrespect our fans. We're going to give them the best possible product that we can because we love the show and we love the characters. I have to say hats off to Pop TV because they could have shut this down. They could have given the shitty notes that you get when you're a writer. We know them well. Usually notes are, I don't understand. I'm a white guy who has sex a certain way with females who are people I call females, which means they're inanimate objects, which means that they're super young, which means that, you know, like, he didn't do any of that. He didn't go down that road. It was just sort of like, you know, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to represent because we know that we need queer representation like this. We didn't even know we needed it this way. Emily says this. Emily Hampshire says this in the documentary. Like, what a paradigm shift. We didn't know this is what we needed until we got it. And mm-hmm. it just hits the nail on the head. It's like, she is so absolutely correct. And all the years I've been fighting for our community and all the years we've been fighting for ourselves, we didn't know that the fight just simply could lie in showing us in this positive light with literally no villain. There is no villain in Shit's Creek. The only... villain is just circumstance your own idea of who you are like the roses had money the roses had buku money but it didn't make them happy and it took them to spend three four years without that to find out who they were as people what they meant to each other what they meant to this town and where it lands in, in the wrong hands, could have been hokey and strident and a bunch of other shit, but in the hands of Dan and Eugene Levy, I want to live in this world. Yeah. I want to work on this crew. I want yeah. to work with these crews. I want to work with this actor, these actors. I think they not only set the tone for just not only queer TV and rep, but TV. They set a standard for TV. Yeah. You want everyone to be treated this way with respect. You want everyone to be collaborative yet respectful. I mean, my God, there's just so many things that this little show did. And I think it's a more of a force than any show I've probably ever seen on TV. Yeah. Seriously. 
So, yeah. I want to talk, if we can shift gears a little bit, I want to talk about um, David. Um, because I think Dan Levy has made a point that the show's not really about any one single person. I mean, it, it all revol- revolves around the family. But I think... Every season, I think, save the first, I think every season has a standout arc that focuses on one person. I think yes. it's season two. I think it was Moira uh, running for town council, all that. Season three, I think it was Johnny starting the business at the hotel. Four, I think it was Alexis and her dealing with the Ted thing. Five, I think it was Stevie. And I think six was David. Yeah. Um, And I was... I, I don't think I lost it. I I didn't lose it until the documentary and until the very end where Dan's just sort of walking through the, the empty sets. And that just sort of hits you because you're like, I like the sadness we feel is like nothing compared to what these people must be feeling. And I mean, I think we've had parallel experiences almost post-show sadness that sort of thing so i think we kind of get it but it's just like anytime i think of trying to put myself in his shoes like i just can't imagine i mean of course he's been living with the show even before it started right but i think i i ended up crying more last week last week's episode because that's (sighs) i think when i started feeling the end me too and i think you could kind of feel it the whole season but it really was that episode that was was setting up the ending and i i lost it at multiple points but the the part where i literally had to pause it was david and stevie's scene me too and stevie asked david why do you want to go back to new york and he said because i want people to know that i'm not a joke that i won and i was just like what what a completely I can't even put it into words what what that means for a character that completely comprises himself of the way he talks to people and the way he dresses, much like, you know, everyone else in the family. But seeing him so vulnerable really, really disarms you. And it kind of, it took me really off guard. No, it's fine. (laughs) It's a dish towel moment. Look, we don't have paper towels. There's a paper shortage. Come on, come on. (laughs) We're an eco-friendly podcast. Um, no, it it just completely disarmed me. And I never, ever, ever would have thought that David, of all people, would choose to stay in Schitt's Creek. And it keeps bringing me back to that one moment. I've watched a lot of interviews, if you can't tell. But there, it was um, an interview about, I think it happened after season five or season four. Um, and they started asking him about the end of the show. Yeah, it must have been season five, after season five. And he said that, you know, I think the one the the finales that resonate with me is when the show manages to surprise me, but in a positive way. Right. Um, so it's very easy to normally like subvert expectations by like a last minute character death or something. Obviously, it's not that kind of show. But the the idea that the show would end with with David staying in Schitt's Creek is not something I would have seen halfway into season six and i was and like i think the way they they built up to it there it just shows like a complete amount of strength in love in that character and it also reminds me of that one episode in season four where they they tease david for not being able to compromise 
And he makes the ultimate compromise by telling Patrick that we're gonna build our, we're gonna build our life here. So I, yeah. I don't want to be a, a dick, but I did see him staying there. I feel like that would have been an arc for him that I was choosing like by season five that he was going to stay there with mm-hmm. the introduction of Patrick, but I still love the choice. It doesn't matter if it's a surprise or not. I think I loved it. And it, I mean, I knew that they were going to come to love this small town because I think the ultimate lesson of the show is something that we can take away from it is that um, the town or outside approval doesn't matter. It's it's really how you feel about yourself, right? We We've heard, we've seen it in our culture. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the Academy and awards and the hardware in the world and still be a miserable son of a bitch. And I think it's when you find yourself, when you find out where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be, that's a satisfying thing. I don't think it's, anti or pro small town i don't think it's anti or pro big city i think it's because mora and is gonna go off and have her career in la alexis is gonna go to new york with her new bestie multimillionaire twyla uh and then these guys are gonna stay at home i don't think you have to vilify one to be happy in the other but i love how the show makes this very complex yet simple distinction about where home is where the heart is kind of thing and where is home. Yeah, and I really like watching all of their arcs going through that. God, me too. You know, just seeing, um, you know, just remember them getting off the bus and the bickering and then just the chaos in you the house. You shut up. No. Yeah. You shut up. To where you that, get murdered first, David. <laughs> you get murdered first. <laughs> that la- where, where, um, where Alexis is talking to Moira and she's sitting down at the computer and she. She just yeah. walks in and she's like, you know, I love you. And it's just like this total. She gets booped. And she, boop, yeah. I mean, it's moments like that inside that family where, I, where, where this transformation happens. Every time I just, it made me just choke. You Do know? you know what's great though? Is that like the, the, the moments in the show that people call like the most emotional and heart wrenching that we all love is just like basic like shows like displays of affection like you know a family saying i love you to each other we're all just like oh my god they love each other like that i think that 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 says so much about the writing and i just think us and how we're we're almost kind of starving a little bit for for that kind of television to just like wallow in love like you're well, just like a love bath. There's a whole like, you're just like in there. 15 podcasts we can do about like how we've all isolated ourselves pre this time in our lives. Um, and how we are always just craving that affection. We, we do it, it. The whole human condition, man. It's a tragedy because it's a Mr. Robot Leon reference <laughs> for you. I. You know what? I want to recap moments. I just want to say that I have loved this show like no other. And I have had great and abounding love for shows. I love story. I love storytelling. I love storytellers. Whether it be music or word or makeup or costume or set design or... You, you name it, composing. I love creators. I love storytellers. But this story 
is so simple yet so complex that it's profound. And I think that's why it touches all of us. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think that's why it's demographic is everybody. You know, just TV guy just go, who is it for? Everybody. Of uh, what ages? Everybody. Like Carol <laughs> Burnett is on there and Cameron Crowe is saying they lo he loves it. And then I've had friends whose children are 12 years old and they can't wait for Schitt's Creek. And then there's, you know, it's it just appeals to the people that it appeals to. And it's also a wonderful testament into be yourself when you're creating something. We've said this so many times in this podcast, and I just want to say this and look you in your eyeballs and say this. Be yourself. Y you know, Sid Field, I'm sure he was a nice man. I don't know if he's still alive. I hope you are with us, sir. But you wrote some books and helped some people, and that's awesome. But I feel like you should break beyond that wall, Kool-Aid style, kicking in the wall, whatever goes on. And you should be yourself because Dan Levy and Eugene Levy brought this to the fore. But it was Dan Levy being Dan Levy. That's a very specific person. Jonathan Van Ness is Jonathan Van Ness. Told to sissy, to this, to that, to that. And all the twos and just said no and went off and did their own thing. I think it's a really great testament to thine own self be true. Um, and because we're waiting to see who you are, we want to see, we want to step beyond the tropes and the expectations of this town and get to know the new voices. And we celebrate new voices every year. But I think there could be waves and waves and waves of them to the degree that we would change culture itself, which is what this show has done. It has changed the way we even relate to yeah. one another within our own um, alphabet people community. Has it not? Yeah. That's what I, I totally think. agree. So funny, you look just like David Rose tonight. I'm just saying, your eyebrows are highlighted. I don't know if you got a ring light. I don't know what's going on there, but like I just oh yeah, like no, I have a ring light. Yeah, and you have just you have, you have your yeah. ring light going, on and you have your eyebrows. God, well, this I'm... is Dan Levy, and then this is David Rose. So oh, like a, I see. You know... I got you. Hello, yeah. holler. I cannot. <laughs> can I? Is there a David Rose eyebrow growing kit? Because I need it. I have like. <laughs> I've overplucked them in the 80s, and my eyebrows just by 1991 were like, fuck you, bitch. We are not going <laughs> back. And I'm not a makeup person. I'm sure there are miracle cures out there, but at this point, just it, they look like caterpillars who were taken hostage, and then, then they just were never discovered. You again. can just do what people do on Halloween and just like cut like uh, slices of like black shag carpet and <laughs> just, just, Put it on there. Is that a thing? You'll be, yeah, you'll be set. I'll so do that. I will so do that. Um, I loved every cast member. I didn't know I was going to love every cast member. I am now going to track every person who's on this show into their careers. I can only hope that Dan Levy becomes a Mr. Murphy in that he has his own, like, we will see all of these characters again, but mm. as different characters in something else. Please let that be true. I Can I have that. that? I want that to happen. I want I want Dan Levy to bring all these people, the same crew. I want to read about the same crew. Everybody just showing up and doing the new thing. So. Although, do you think Catherine O'Hara will want to do more TV? 
I think Catherine O'Hara is the smartest person in the room. I want to tell a story about her that maybe a lot of you, you may know this. If you're a Catherine O'Hara fan, you know this story better than anybody. If you're new to her or semi-new to her, maybe you don't know. But Catherine O'Hara was out there with the with the boys and girls of SCTV back in the day. Uh, I'm going to put this along about late 70s, early 80s. And they were doing a lot of improv theater, and they were really good. They were Canadian funny, which meant they were funny without being, like, mean as shit. And the Americans were doing lots of blow, and they were just mean and, and really funny, but also mean as shit. So SNL starts blowing up in, like, the, uh, the 70s. It, it airs, like, what, in 72, 77? I don't know, one of those years. And so... They're blowing up and they're looking for talent. Not everybody did this. This is at a time where not everybody was doing improv. Not everybody was doing stand-up. So it was a very small, small world. And so they they had gone to Second City. Lauren Michaels is out of that group. He's unto that group. He knows them. They're very well connected at the hip. And he brings on a young Catherine O'Hara to be in the cast at some point. I don't know which season it is. Season three, season four, season, I don't know what season. But she walks into the room. She sees the head writer, which is this notorious cokehead. Um, and I'm not going to throw his name out there. Lovely, hilarious guy, but kind of dangerous and funny. And she walks in and she sees his office and the fact that he's doing blow off the end of a Bowie knife. And she does a 180, goes back to her hotel room, tells her manager, I need a flight and I need to go back to Canada tomorrow. I'm she out. said no to SNL. And that is what makes Catherine O'Hara a great. And the fact that her and Eugene Levy and Christopher Guest have been connected from the hip from the beginning, wow. along with Michael McKeon. So she is one of those women who she's not here for your bullshit or shenanigans. And uh, I don't think she she's just a person who who literally follows her own uh, her own beat of her own drum i feel like that same way is about eugene levy and a lot of the people who are in this show but specifically i have a hardcore love for Catherine o'hara who's like not even mean about it she's very she's very sweet and canadian about it she's like no not gonna do that can't make me there is literally no one like her on the planet and this is why i adore her so hardcore she is awesome forever I wanted I wanted to point out I don't know if you guys noticed this too but first of all the wedding outfit reveal my heart stopped <laughs> I don't think my eyes knew quite knew what I was seeing at first but when I realized it was the best moment of my life like of course of course she would be the pope I love it. I, I love it. Was verklempt. I kind of lost some air in my lungs for a minute. I uh, was like, "What is going on with the wig?" See, this is the mind of Catherine O'Hara, and we find out in the documentary that she brings this whole subculture to this—the wig wall, all that stuff—is her. And I'm like, "Oh my the god, accent. you have elevated Mara to as we as we found out, as we know, she is a uh, gay icon." For a reason, she's the modern gay icon, because you know. It reminded me of the um, that Princess Bride wedding. 
Remember? Mammy. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she had the vo- she had a, like an affectation to her voice. She did. And I was like, oh, that if they're doing that, that's pretty funny. I like that. Well, here's the thing. So so Catherine O'Hara has like every time she gets asked a question about the uh, um, the accent, she's like, well, Maura didn't always talk like that. Like that's something she puts on. And then I noticed that through most of the wedding speech, what's happening? She's escaping. Okay. So go ahead. <laughs> Lisa has left the building. Um, through most of that wedding speech, she wasn't talking with that accent. No, she wasn't. She Did had you notice some, but that? she was because I think she was she was getting emotional the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which like it, that in and of itself speaks volumes to like just her as a character. I mean, like she puts on that accent as a as a defense mechanism but when she's disarmed like that in a way that i don't think we've ever seen on the show i think the closest thing is the season five finale and and her watching stevie sing i think that's one of the only yeah. moments we see moira so vulnerable like that but when she's in front of everybody and she's officiating her son's wedding and the the accent just goes completely out the window and i'm just like what a choice that's iconic, and I love that about her. I, uh, I'm i sorry. I had to pee. <laughs> we should just leave that in. We're not going to edit this. Oh, no, we're not going to edit that out. That's we can't right. now. Dude, <laughs> I have to pee a lot. I'm also <laughs> drinking. It's a pandemic. That's so funny. I'm sure I can understand this. No judgment. Later. No judgment. It's fine. Don't judge me. I had to pee, for fuck's sake. Um. We're sure that whatever you said was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how Mora wasn't wasn't talking with her accent when she was giving the I know the wedding yes. speech. Yeah, I noticed it. Uh, what <laughs> can I just tell you? Like my favorite thing that's probably ever happened on Shit's Creek ever, and there's been a million things. Probably one of my favorite moments outside of the one I'm about to mention is when David runs off and he's hanging out with the Amish, Amish family who doesn't want him uh, or Mennonites <laughs> or whatever the fuck they were. And and he's out in the field and it just became a whole meme-worthy thing. I thought... It's my current Twitter header, yes. It's like <laughs> the favorite thing that we all took away from this. We didn't even know we were going to love it so much. But then the happy ending thing happened and I was just like, to what now? <laughs> and you're like, oh, they're actually going to do yeah. a classic set up on Shit's Creek on the finale they're going to have like a oh my god Lucy I can't believe you got a hand job on our wedding day but <laughs> it wasn't even that way at all you just have Patrick's face of like oh I gave him a bunch of money and told him to like <laughs> oh. and now that I said that out loud yeah, yeah exactly I know what <laughs> and what redeems everything is that David goes I was very impressed <laughs> He was just like, oh. I was both shocked and impressed. (laughs) I was just like, and also what if you know the trap doors and you know all of the levels of uh, the queer community, how perfectly like straight people would never be able to get over it. Like if you watch. Oh, no. I was literally just about to say. Yeah. If you were (laughs) watching Love is Blind, it's like just people were fighting over the dumbest shit in the queer community. We're just like, he got a hand job. I mean, I can understand how you misunderstood that. 
and it was kind of my fault. It was kind of my fault, but we're cool. And then he goes, you know, you are my happy ending in the vows. Yeah. How many straights would be able to survive this moment like ever? No. And I love Never. that there was that was built in. It was like, yes, on one level, it's a gag. Pardon the expression. And then on the other hand, it's a. Uh, it's really who we are. Like you guys should probably look into not being toxically jealous about the wind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, but that's the thing though. So when I first watched it, I didn't have that context. I didn't know any of that had happened. So when he said that in his <laughs> vows, I just thought it was a really poignant thing to say because so yeah. like because like david has like a troubled past with his dating and everything and that, and that was so, the name and of and the episode like, too yeah yeah so so it's it's the proof of concept it works both ways like if someone walks in and they see that they're just like oh what a lovely thing to say which so is what like, everyone in that wedding wedding was was thinking like oh that's so nice and then stevie behind him was like oh my god <laughs> So in real life, would if you were to have this actual happily go down in real life, um, part, puns intended, if you found out like you had had this snafu in your own life, would you like be super pissed off and call off the wedding, or you'd be like, no, oh. it would probably it would probably happen the the same way it happened in the show. Yeah, yeah. I don't Ian, think it would, would you, be that that Ian, big a deal. Would you be unable to recover? No. Well, I mean, no, I don't I know. Like Ian, Ian, Ian. It would oh, be, yeah. I don't. I mean, now that when you think about it like that way, it's like, yeah, it'd be fine. Would it be fine? Yeah, I mean, in that context. But I mean, everyone has to get over. The, I mean, that's just you know, in the real. I life, mean, I, I probably would. I probably would have like done it on purpose. Like if for Patrick, it was an accident. But if I had David as a husband, and I, I would just like be like, yeah, show him a good time. Whatever he's comfortable with, like he needs to calm the fuck down. It's I'm trying to find the, a wedding for this venue. I think it's one of the reasons why the queer community is so scary to I think the straights. I think the straights want to have fun. They're a girl who just wants to have fun, and then they see all of the girls who are really having fun, who are actually having the sex and doing the things, and no one's like getting uh, obliterated or decimated. And I know you're going to point at the whole gay pandemic and say that was our fault, but uh, I digress to say that I think that's why queers are really scary to the straights. It's like we just are just happy being us and we're very supportive and forgiving. And how many of my queer friends, including me, who've had past lovers who've become friends, you're sitting in a room at a birthday party. Let me paint a picture for the straights. And you're surrounded by 30 people. And you're very lucky because you have 30 people in your life. Maybe you're in your 40s and you're celebrating a, a big milestone birthday. Maybe it's your 40th. Maybe it's your 50th. And the room is filled with past lovers. No one is wigging about that. No one's freaked out. No one's jealous. No one's, like, comparing notes and getting, like, all pissed off. That's why in, like, straight culture and straight storytelling, <gasps> she's having a baby. Well, yeah, that's that's she gave yeah. him a hand job in like the parking lot of the A and P. It's because every single like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's because every single heterosexual situation has been played out in so many different ways and mostly in a negative light. Like, of course, that's that's how people operate in a relationship. Mm -hmm. It is worth noting though that 
it's not the fact that it was like a hand job. It was the fact like that the, that doesn't interfere with with David and Patrick's David and Patrick's relationship, and the fact that they are they. I mean, they discussed early on in the season about being polyamorous with with jake over there and they were like <laughs> when they realized it was an orgy they were like oh we left our kosher wine in the trunk i don't even know that's a thing is that a thing i don't know kosher wine yeah yes it's a thing oh it honey. is a thing yes i don't know i don't drink um, no, sure. yes yes it is <laughs> happy hanukkah everybody now what are we doing we're doing uh passover passover happy passover everyone yes that's not to say that that every queer relationship is is not monogamous. There's there's no. always different cases yeah. in every situation, but yeah. specifically for them, that's why it was wasn't a big deal. And Thanks because for bringing the that trust up. and love is there. There's so many levels. There's a lot of people who are like there's 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 every relationship you can imagine under the sun, or maybe you can't imagine because your world is just Harlequin romances from days past, but suffice it to say that there's a lot of people who are aromantic or ace or polyamorous or monogamous or open or try or there's so many things and here's the thing we just we didn't just invent it like five minutes ago it's kind of been around for a minute yeah, it's been around forever Mine it reminds is, me of that I one scene I'm a, t- I'm a tired sexual i <laughs> a bitch will go to sleep i bitch will go to sleep. i'm just a tired sexual like that's my whole thing i don't know if we can just put a t there is a t in there so there's trans and like maybe a lower t is just me because i'm just tired i just not as want like a nap <laughs> that's my sexual lowercase t yeah exactly no it reminds me of that one scene in the in the 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 hit series the game wondrous life of caleb gallo mm. that now that i think about it has a very similar energy to the show but it's like that one scene in the hot springs where that that gay guy is like well all gay couples are open aren't they and i remember i just like get so mad at that every time i see him like no like fucking uh such a yeah anyway it's like um, yeah and again we're still evolving like not all not all couples are open it's not all one thing not everybody gets to be everybody wants to be queer the same way like all of you tired ass you know straights y'all don't even be straight the same way i mean y'all straight about five ways that we've counted repeatedly over and (laughs) over in culture but um the reason there's a rainbow is because we can't even begin to express how different we are from each other but still we hang with one another i mean Maybe it's the time of learning. And I think that Shit's Creek was this amazing opportunity, uh, all joking aside, that um, we're not out to hurt you. We're not out to thwart you, undermine you, yeah. um, bury you. Just, just a sweet little show about humanity that is one for the books. And I feel like it's a groundbreaking show that we should celebrate uh, with honor that it did shift the paradigm. Emily Hampshire has it right. And we should see it that way. New queer positive stories, right? Yeah. Let's go do that. Right. So do you know, do you know what he might be doing next? No, I know, know he's got some sort of deal with ABC to do something, but he hasn't oh, wow. he hasn't said anything. I know I w- I've been watching like all the live streams that they were doing. By the way, they raised like one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars for um 
Food Banks Canada and Feeding America. And I'm just like, that's how you do it. Not by singing Imagine. Um, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, he said he's he's working on something while he's while he's quarantining. So so something is in the works, and he's wow. got the ABC deal. So we might be seeing something soon. I don't know. Before we take on out, uh, take on off out of here. Are you guys good? Everybody good? You feeling good? Is everybody okay? Yeah. 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 I feel like we're got we're in the middle of figuring ourselves out as human beings right now. Um, yeah, kind of one of the reasons why we're also doing this is to reach out to you visually, just to say hi, so you can see our faces and we can relate to you in this way. You can still listen to us uh, on our podcast. Um, you don't have to see our faces at all. You can pick us up uh, everywhere that you pick up podcasts. And then you can also reach out to us on social media and say hey. And then also in the comments, I'm brand new to YouTube, kind of long in the tooth of the three of us. But uh, I don't know. So far, no one's been evil. Yeah. I know how you guys like to do that. I don't. It's not that I'm naive about it. I just, I don't understand. I don't spend my energy sitting around going, you're a fucking blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't get that. But, um. Yeah, before you have that impulse, just maybe just reach out just directly, you know, so we can talk about your anger. Or if you really can't help yourself, just leave a dislike and call it a day, honestly. That's fine. It's okay. I'd really like you not to dislike it. Like, come <laughs> on. We're here don't to, like... Don't tank our video. I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> but, like, just we're here to... I don't know. We're trying to here to entertain you. We're here to entertain you. Why would you want to be a yeah. dick about that? It's free. It costs you literally nothing, bro. <laughs> uh, or ma'am. Or sir, ma'am. I don't know what's going on. But I'm just saying, like, I I hope you guys are not. I, I feel like I'm maybe protecting myself because I do protect myself. I do love myself. I do care about myself. I do have self-esteem. It's taken me. It's hard one. I didn't start loving myself until a, a handful of years ago. So, yeah, I think I will take it personally if you're, like, mean to us, to any of us. Yeah. Don't do it. You're probably going to be upset. All right. Uh, you guys uh, take care of yourselves. I hope you're getting good rest. I hope you're able to feed yourself and your family stay inside as much as you can at least for the time being as much as shout out to the cast and crew Shits creek and thank you for an amazing yes. wonderful show and if you haven't seen it you can binge all of it it's all out on amazon but is it on amazon can you also see it yep. on netflix as well so the first five seasons are on netflix yes. and then you if you want to go ahead and pile on to the sixth season you can get it on prime or if you get like the pop tv app i think you can watch it there as well Awesome. So go check it out. I think you will, even if you're not into queer things or don't give a shit about any of that, it's still just fun and lovely and human. And isn't that what all of this is about? We're not trying to be different. We're just trying to get along with y'all and everybody. All right. Take care of yourself. And just uh, we love you so much. Bye, guys. You're simply the best. Bye.